This is a spoiler warning, you insignificant worms, for I am Baal Zaman, Heart of the Dark. The creator of this miserable content, Gleeman Tom, has read the series cover to cover, book to book. So, if you have not yet completed the entire series, yet persist on listening to this podcast, well, who's to blame, listener? Not I. Whose decision led to them spoiling the series for them? Not mine, listener. Not mine. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Gleeman Radio, your daily dose for the Wheel of Time. And you know what? If you don't believe that, if you believe all the fake news that I have dropped the ball over these last two weeks, that I have not put out as many podcasts as I told you I'd be putting out, well, then you're obviously a dark friend. That's the only explanation I have for it. Yeah. How does it feel? Did you enjoy selling your soul to the shadow? Did you enjoy pledging your to Shaitan because whoa did it just get darker in here I... oh my god what in ashes did you guys hear that holy light like okay um I'm sorry uh obviously I got a little out of hand there and what I had obviously admitted I would I would never do even joked about that I would never ever ever do it in previous podcasts I uh well um so yeah I, I, you know what looking at things more practically I have screwed up I mean admittedly my life has been busy uh it, part of the reason I'm doing this podcast is so I'll have something to do something that I can call, say I achieved you know, uh, I'm in a living situation where I can't really get a 9-to-5 job because of other obligations. And this was supposed to be kind of my thing. Uh, but I've been screwing up. And part of it is because when I started this podcast, those first couple weeks were really easy. I didn't have a lot too much going on at home. But these last two weeks have been truly busy. And that doesn't change the fact that when I stopped being busy, I chose to relax and have fun and watch videos or read something other than this or, you know what I mean? I chose not to get this done. Uh, and uh, I'm not going to let that keep happening. Um, yeah. So, last time on the Eye of the World, let's see, that recording was several days ago as well. Hmm, okay, so everybody got across the Taran, right? Uh, Moraine sunk the ferry, which was really cool. We learned not a lot of people could have done that. We knew that, but it's cool to have Moraine say it because sometimes I don't think she gives herself enough credit. She is a badass. Um, we get to uh, everybody relaxing on the other side of the Taran, and Rand gets a horrible shock. And Egwene is told she can become an Aes Sedai, <laughs> and he's not very happy. But come on, she knows how their village, how these men feel about this situation. She's the only one that wanted to go out on an adventure. They wanted to stay home, yet her first reaction is, Hey, Rand, isn't that great? I can become your worst nightmare. Hooray! 
Yeah, Rand's like, yeah, totally. I, I, I still want to marry you, right? I don't, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think I've talked about that enough. I've apologized in my introduction. So, let's just get on to the Return of the Wheel of Time podcast, episode 14, chapter 13 of The Eye of the World, Choices. Let's get into that chapter breakdown right now. The lads were just, Tom began, but Moraine spoke right over the top of him. A few days respite, and you are ready to give up. Her calm, level voice contrasted sharply with her eyes. A day or two of quiet, and already you have forgotten winter night. We haven't forgotten, Theron said. It's just... Still not raising her voice, the eye said I treated him, as she had the gleeman. Is that the way you all feel? You are all eager to run off to Ilion and forget about Trollocs and Halfmen and Drakkar. She ran her eyes over them. That stony glint playing against the everyday tone of voice made Rand uneasy. But she gave no one a chance to speak. The Dark One is after you three, one or all. And if I let you go running off wherever you want to go, he will take you. Whatever the Dark One wants, I oppose. So hear this. And know it true. Before I let the Dark One have you, I will destroy you myself. Alright, so first off, I just gotta say, I think I need to change the way I'm doing notes. Because I was just looking at this and I got 17 pages of notes. F for one chapter. I, what? I, what? Okay, so... What's kind of been happening is that since taking notes takes so long sometimes, especially with the longer chapters, sometimes I listen to the pod, the chapter and take notes while I'm doing that, while referencing the book so I don't have to keep rewinding the podcast. And since I'm not going to be recording right after reading the chapter, uh, <laughs> I've been putting my thoughts in well in the notes just as often as what happens. And what ended up being the result is a massive 17 pages of notes. This is ridiculous. After this chapter, we're going back to that initial podcast style where I introduce and go, I don't remember everything that's going to happen. Uh, maybe this or that. And then I'm going to go listen to the chapter immediately, taking crypt notes or whatever the word is. Just shorthand, couple lines, you know, not even a couple lines, a couple words for each number. Because uh, I do the number system, and I hit the enter in the next note. You know what I mean? So, because this, this is ridiculous. Like, how am I supposed to glance at these notes when every single one is a goddamn paragraph? Oh, my goodness. So, let's just jump right into the chapter, because otherwise, I, I, I'm going to be, I'm going to be talking about nonsense. So, the chapter picks off almost immediately after the end of the last one. However, we don't really get that resulting chat <laughs> of Egwene being like, Isn't it great, Rand? I could be your worst nightmare. I can become an Aes Sedai. Yay! We don't, we don't get that conversation. We just get everybody going to sleep now and Moraine doing her thing of finally erasing everyone's f fatigue because that was mentioned back in, like, the road to Tarn Ferry. Um... When, every, when she did it to the horses, that she was going to do it to them too, but didn't get the chance because of the draw car. So, yeah, Land protest, because remember, he said, you don't, not me, she, and not herself. But yeah, first person she does this to, 
Alanman Dragon, last lord of the Seven Towers. And he's not happy about it, but at the same time, he's not going to fight her too hard either. Uh, Egwene was eager for the experience. Of course she was. Uh, and Matt and Perrin seemed quite afraid. Um, <laughs> Tom Marilyn jerked away from her. Like, she grabbed him, and he's like, no! And then she, she's having no nonsense with it. And she grabs him again, and with a mocking smile, heals him. A mocking smile? I'm just saying, um, Moraine is cold and calculating. Not, not like as in she has no heart at all. But she learned a long time ago that emotions get in the way of a lot of stuff, so she runs on pure logic with her work, right? But Tom Marilyn's pulling out some of that emotion, man. I'm just saying, I think they're flirting already. <laughs> I like it. Uh, Ram tries to kind of hide in a corner, uh, hoping that, like, Moraine, if she doesn't just see him uh, in plain sight, she'll forget about him, because that's... That's the right call, Rand. Of course she's not going to pay attention to the most important one. Yeah, sure. Uh, but she does find him. And she does uh, do the healing slash erasing fatigue. Uh, and I like the description they give to it. Uh, Rand describes it as tiredness being drained out of him like water running down a hill. All the aches, all the pains, all the soreness in his muscles just seem to slightly dim and then vanish. Which makes me think this is probably a mix of healing, you know what I mean? Um, and then as he looked and saw how tired she was, Rand remembered that Lan said she can't do it for herself. Um, so she had a little bit of tea and no food. She refused to eat, which is actually pretty concerning for me. And then she curls up into a little cute little ball next to the fire like a little kitty cat and goes to sleep. I, I know that was a weird description, but it says she curls up next to the fire and goes to sleep. And since cats and I and I are often equated together, that's kind of how I saw it. Little kitty cat, you know, just curling into the ball, getting all comfortable. I don't know. Maybe it's because I think Moraine is really cute and I think that cats are cute. So I'm kind of mixing them together. Um... Rand is watching his friends, you know, passing out, going to sleep one by one, and not really getting it. He's like, what, what, what's going on? I feel great. I feel wide awake. I feel... <laughs> you know? Because <laughs> it's not an energy drink. She didn't caffeinate them. She didn't give them a bolst of adrenaline. She just took away all the soreness, which actually makes sense that they'd fall asleep easier. They've been through a lot, you know what I mean? Uh, it's kind of one of those where you fall asleep suddenly kind of deals. I think everybody's had those. Wow, I didn't know I was as tired as I was. I was so comfortable, I just went away. Um, Lan wakes him after only an hour, but he feels like he had three solid days of rest. Um, and that's cool. Like, I guess the taking away of fatigue plus even a little bit of sleep is just like a huge amplifier. And I, I like that a lot. It's very interesting. It's too bad we don't get to see this used much later. Good God, it's already hot again. Oh, I want to put on my fan. I'm going to just throw off my sweatshirt real quick. I'm so sorry about that. Yeah, so, yeah, just like I probably made some noise taking off my sweatshirt, Lan was hushing anybody 
who made a noise at all because they didn't want to wake Moraine until the last second when they had to go. And I like that. It's always good to see Lan looking out for her because it's not just his duty and job. You know what I mean? With someone like Lan, you can't hold them to you only with duty. Of course, he is a very honorable man, but Moraine is his sister in battle. You know what I mean? Uh, she's been his partner in crime for 20 years, and there's probably no one, and I, I mean that, no warrior that Mo that Lan respects more than Moraine. And I just, I, I do, I do love that. So it's very, still very early when they actually depart, and Lan was so badass that there hasn't been, there's no trace at all that they had camped there before, which... I mean, how do you make no trace at all? If you have to bury a fire or something, there's disturbed dirt, right? So did Land just memorize what the fi what the dirt used to look like, bury the fire, and then like rearrange the dirt? Like, how do you how do you do it? I mean, I think at one point I don't remember if it's this chapter. Um, again, it's been like a day and a half since I've listened to it slash read it because I took my notes a while ago and then things got busy. Oh, I had to take the car in, guys. I, you know, there was all a whole bunch of stuff going on, and I actually then had to take the car into the shop. And the sh only shop I ch trust around here, since I live in a very small town, is actually the dealership to which my car, you know, correlates to. But that's a two-hour drive one way, <laughs> and then I had to get a rental car home. Uh, that was the first time I've ever driven a pickup. I rather liked that. This morning, I drove an hour round trip just to get breakfast, just because I wanted to drive the truck some more. And I wanted to have energy, and I wanted to be fully ready to do this podcast, and then I suddenly go off on a tangent that means nothing to any of you. What? Why? What? Come on, Tom. Come on. Get yourself together. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, they're leaving early. <laughs> <laughs> They're departing, and nothing is different. I bet Land got on his hands and knees and straightened twigs and pieces of grass. It is flawless, people. Flawless. Anyways, on the move again, and very slowly for the horses because they pushed them before. So that is wonderful. After making the most swift trip out of the two rivers to probably ever exist since the days of Minethrin... They are resting the horses. That does make me happy here. Rand never expected to be this far from home. You know, he was remembering just a little bit ago that <laughs> Watch Hill seemed to be, like, ridiculously far away. You know what I mean? Perrin, like, expects to be home in a few months for some reason. I mean, it's going to take them a few months just to travel. Like, come on, bro. To a few months, really... Uh, and Matt says Trollocs can't chase them forever. Burn me, they can't. And, yeah, they just, they, they want to go home. Even Matt wants to go home right now. But Egwene, oh, I, I remember I like Egwene. Why am I not a liking Egwene right now? She's one of my favorite characters, so why is she causing nothing but frustration? I don't, it, I, I really do think I don't like her li until later. I, I used to think I always liked her, but I am not liking her in this first book. I'm just not. Um, men, Egwene snorted. Always wanted adventure, already talking of home. But there's a tremor in her voice now that the Two Rivers is out of sight shows that she is scared and she's just mocking the men because she's today's version of a feminist. 
<sighs> okay, that was that was that was actually a little out of line. I do I do apologize for that. Um, I should probably clip that out. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, everybody is equal. I truly believe believe that. But my personal experience with the few modern feminists I've met isn't let's all be equal. It's women are superior to men and men are garbage. I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. You guys let me know. That, that won't bother me at all. Um, that kind of seems to be how women are portrayed in this series after all. Anyways, you know? I don't know. I, I think he goes... I think Robert Jordan does overplay the men and women are separate but equal and different. You know, I, separate and equal, different but the same. He it, it it he he puts too much emphasis on it, and there's too much men from women and women from men. It it's not as exaggerating as it is in the books, but it does make entertaining reading at times. But it also makes really frustrating reading at times, and I'm not the only one that means that. Uh, so if I offended anybody at all with my senseless comment, I do apologize. Um, I do want male and female listeners. That would be really cool. Uh, because honestly, I don't know how many female listeners would listen to my podcast. You know, usually these podcasts are wonderful because there's multiple people giving their opinions and, uh, I'm all alone. And we're, what, 17 minutes in and I'm through, um, eight notes out of like 107, so I need to stop talking because this podcast is going to be well over an hour. Oh my goodness. So, yeah, neither the Aes Sedai or the Warder tried to assure them they would, of course, return home. You know? Rand tried not to think what that might mean, but he was like so full of doubts as he leaves his home behind. And that's really understandable. Uh, he puts himself in this little waking dream that I like. And it's a very simple dream. He's just back at home with his father working on the farm, being very busy, and then finishing up their tasks and going to Beltine the way it should have been. You know? And he stays in this daydream for quite a long time. Alright, so luckily we do know that we're going to get to... Berlon this chapter, but we learn it's going to take about a week to get there, which makes me really kind of wonder. Tom's been to Berlon. Tom understands distance. I don't know why he thought more rain could cover them in the fog all the way to Berlon, unless he was underestimating, uh, overestimating her powers, because unaided, no way in hell. Maybe with the Angriel, this is like. It's a little much. I'm just saying. It's a little much, dude. Little bit much. Um, Lan is frustrated with the pacing of the trip. But he's the one that's setting the pace. He's like, oh, we have to go so slow. But, you know, they're like, I want to go a little faster. No, you're not going to go any faster. You're going to go as slow as I tell you to do. Or you're going to ruin your horses. How are you going to feel when Trollocs come at you and you don't got no horses? <laughs> it was 
It was very, very enjoyable. Uh, we learned the name of his horse finally. Of course, we all know it's Mandorb. Mandarb. Mandorb. What the hell? Mandarb, uh, which means blade in the old tongue, which is going to be a very fun joke come book three when we meet a certain Bashir girl. Um, yeah. But, like, I'm happy the horses are getting... Treat, good treatment, that they're able to rest and recuperate and get in better situation, because they are living beings. But, is he giving that same treatment to Mandarp? No, he is not, because Lan is covering twice as much ground as anyone else. He's scouting ahead, he's checking the trail behind them, but if anyone else tries to pick up their pace, yeah, they get those nasty words from Lan, including Moraine, which I just love. Uh, they're a partnership, right? She's not fully in charge. They are a team, which is what makes them the best example of Warder and Aes Sedai pretty much in the whole series. Um, land cover, yeah, land covers twice as much ground. It's, it's crazy. Uh, we also learn, uh, Moraine's horse's name for the first time, Aldeeb, the West Wind in the Old Tongue, but we knew that. The wind that brought the spring rains. It's, it's so beautiful. I love it. Uh, Lan only form informs Moraine on his doings and his information from scouting, and Moraine only tells them what she thinks they need to know, which is a pretty standard practice for Moraine and pretty standard practice for anyone in charge dealing ignorant, dealing with ignorant and scared followers. You know what I mean? If they if they tell them too much, they're gonna get freaked out. Um. No Shadowspawn has been seen, though, for a little while. They're, they're, they're doing good, and they're happy about it. Uh, they're taking this, like, really snaking path through the woods, onto the road, through the woods, onto the road, so that they can avoid any civilization at all. Not that there's a lot of things out here, but every now and then they might come across an extremely rural farm. Uh, but not many places like that existed in the vast wilderness that's between Berlon and Tarn Ferry. Uh, Perrin get into an argument, uh, Perrin and Matt get into an argument after seeing that first farmhouse, because Perrin's like, it doesn't look any different, shouldn't it look different, and Matt's like, of course it's different, we're past the Tarrant, we're out of the two rivers, it has to be different, and Perrin's like, I'm telling you, it's the same, I don't, I don't know why they think a farm, just a farm, would be so much different uh, but, well, whatever. I mean, architecture can be kind of different from place to place, but, eh, they're really not that far away. Uh, and from the first night out of the two rivers, th see, this chapter is weird because it kind of goes back and forth, you know? It's like, well, this trip takes a week, and I'm going to tell you what happened during that week, but I'm going to tell you a little bit at a time. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, Land starts training the boys in combat. Yeah, that is that is awesome. All three do super awesome with the bow. Uh, they shoot a knot the size of a man's head on a tree at a hundred paces. Madden parents seem about even. They're both extremely good, but Rand uh, does even better using the flame in the void, having uh, all the arrow tips practically touching. So again, even with the flame in the void, Rand, a spectacular archer, when you think about it, all three are pretty damn good archers. None of them hold a candle to Brigida. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I just, I just want to point that out. Brigida's better. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Yeah, Rand did the best, and the boys are all congratulating themselves about it. They're like, yeah, good job, Rand. That was awesome, but we're cool too, right? And Land's like, yeah, good, good. Yeah, honestly, not bad at all. Now, if only all three had bows instead of one of you, smiles start fading. And uh, if only the Trollocs were, you know, courteous enough not to run right up at you faster than a horse can gallop. You know, there'd be nothing to worry about there. And the boys are all like, God damn it, Warder, do you have to... We're, we're trying to get a little bit of joy in this scary situation. Do you really have to do this to us? Come on, really? Uh, <laughs> but he's being practical. That's how Land always is. And I, I, I still love it. Uh... Also, he sets to teaching them more practically. So I, the, oh, Matt doesn't have a hand-to-hand -hand weapon, but he does set Perrin to using his axe in a proper way. He sets him to several strike, parry, and block exercises, and then moves on to Rand and his sword, who, of course, he can train even better than Perrin with the axe. Uh, <laughs> he's telling him, Smooth motions, Sheepherder. It's like a dance. Moving the blade is not enough. Empty your mind. Burn away all of the distractions. You all listen to this now. Because it doesn't matter if you're using the sword, the axe, the bow, your fists. This is important. And Rand's just sitting there going, Oh, 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 I know what that is. I know what that is. That's the flame in the void. My father taught me about that. And Land just goes full-on expressionless stony face. <laughs> and, and it's like, Blade Master confirmed. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Or at least extremely talented swordsman that's worth his salt confirmed. You know? Land, yeah, Land's like, really? I still, I still think it would be amazing to see a practice sword fight between Tam and... And land. It would be so cool. We're never going to get it, though. Uh, okay. You know, so he... Yeah, yeah. So he ignores the whole my father. You know, you know, he doesn't really say anything. He's just like, Hold the sword the way I taught you, sheepherder. I can't make you a blade master in an hour, but perhaps I can keep you from sliding off, slicing off your own foot. <laughs> land is so cool. I, I just... I, he is great. Oh... Moraine approves of the lessons, you know. Uh, Lan, I don't think she told Lan to give them the lessons, though, because it kind of makes her, it seems like she's staring at them, and she doesn't look 100% happy about it, but Lan, she lets Lan continue. I don't think she told Lan to give them training. I think that's just something he decided to do on his own. Uh, they're eating the same meal every day, morning, afternoon, and evening. Flatbread and cheese with dried meat and tease it in the evening with a fire being made just long enough to brew the tea before it's snuffed out and the embers are buried. So, oh, that just doesn't sound great. Like, maybe like once or twice a day. I just, eh, I mean, I get it. It's the kind of food that can easily be packed for long journeys. But it's got to make mealtime just so less exciting, doesn't it? Uh, Tom entertained them evenings as well. And Lan wouldn't allow him to use the harp or the flute for obvious reasons. We heard how far away Rand and the rest of them could all hear the fiddle and the flutes from Watch Hill, right? When the draw car made the horrible scream and even they heard that and everything silenced. We can't have, you know, that kind of sound carrying just because they think they're kind of out of the way of the Shadow Spawn. It's just, it would be a very, very stupid thing to do. 
and uh, I don't even think he had to tell the Gleam in that. The, Tom Maryland is a smart man. I don't think he even intended to pull out the Harper flute. But he could still juggle and tell stories, and they were always happy ones. Uh, I'm not going to tell you all the stories he they described him telling, but it is the first mention of the Great Hunt of the Horn, as far as my understanding, which is also pretty cool. And all of the stories involved a happy ending and a triumphant homecoming. Because Tom understands how scared these people are. I mean, he can probably even see Egwene being scared when she's trying not to be. Tom is very good at reading people. So he's comforting them the best way he can. Entertaining them the best way he can. And trying to bring out a little bit of laughter in them. Which is wonderful. He is great for morale, as we know. Who knows? Without Tom Marilyn doing his thing and telling a story, there might have been a mutiny. <laughs> Okay, that was me trying to make a joke from something that happens later. In this book? Yeah, I, I don't even know why I tried to make that joke, and it doesn't really matter, because who of these people are going to cross Moraine and land? Uh, was a, that was a bad on my part. I'll admit, bad on my part. Oh, goodness. No Shadow Spawn appearing still, which is great. Couple days have passed, still no sign of Shadow Spawn. People are getting even more comfortable. Uh, but if they can raise the tension all by themselves with no problem. You know, Rand's still incredibly sore about Gwen and Moraine taking off every night a little bit alone to chat about you-know-what. Um, and one morning, everybody's getting ready to go. Gwen has unbraided her hair. She's brushed it out. A hundred strokes. Rand counted. And oh, then she pulls her cloak up and puts away the brush. And Rand's like, whoa, whoa, what are you doing? What, what, what are you doing? I, why aren't you braiding your hair again? You've waited your whole life to put your hair in a braid. Why now? Why aren't you braiding it? Because she doesn't braid her hair? It, mm, and she's like, I said I don't braid their hair if they don't want to. Oh. Oh my. Okay, hold in the frustration. Ooh, and Rand's like, the women's circle would have a conniption if they saw you, Egwene. Your mother would lose her mind. And Egwene's like, the women's circle is none of your affair, Rand Althor. I will become an Aes Sedai as soon as I go to Tarvalon, because that's how it works, right, Egwene? It's not like the fastest uh, people to ever rise to Aes Sedai spent like four to five years as a novice and four to five years as an accepted. Wasn't that like Moraine and Swan's rate, right? Weren't they like incredibly fast and it still took them like ten bloody years? But no, she'll become Aes Sedai as soon as she reaches Tarvalon. Okay, I'm being really hard on her, but she's so frustrating right now. When she becomes Aes Sedai, when she becomes Amerlin, and those stuck-up, non-just horrible sitters that don't want to actually accomplish anything and just want to sit around and talk think they can use her? Her? A Two Rivers woman? That is magnificent. It is wonderful when she's that uh, up there right when she's in the white tower when she's full Omerlin, love her but here oh okay and Ren's like why why do you want to be Aes Sedai you're no dark friend and 
Again, this was the wrong move, and Rand should have known that. He's even described, once she's made up her mind, all she'll do is dig her heels in if you push, but he's letting his emotions cloud everything, and instead of talking to her, he's attacking her, and this doesn't work on anyone in the two rivers. It does it doesn't work. And she's like, do you think Moraine is a dark friend? After saving the village by accident, Egwene, by accident, she didn't expect any Shadow Spawn to be there. She just expected to go there and kidnap the Dragon Reborn and go on about her merry way. <laughs> Seriously, think about it. The only one of those f four Two Rivers youths that Moraine took out of the village only the Dragon Reborn got permission from Daddy, okay? They may all be of age, even more, even Egwene has her hair braided, legally making her an adult in that district. However, they may be legally adults, but none of the village considered them at their maturity. So, technically, Moraine kidnapped them. Except Rand. Rand's the only one that wasn't kidnapped. I don't understand. Um, so... After she saved the village, after she saved your father, now there, Egwene has a better point. Rand said he'd do anything as long as it didn't hurt his village or his, uh, the people in it, you know, anything like that. And she's not. He, he's leaving the village. It's just... <sighs> Rand admits Moraine's not all bad, but he also, it brings up that he doesn't know where she stands, you know? And then he screws up by bringing up the stories. Not his next best move. Because Egwene's telling him to grow up and see things with her own eyes. That just because people like Sen Bui talk about them being the next thing to shadow spawn in the Dark West doesn't make it true. Especially if everything they've seen. And Rand's like, I get you. I get it. But Rand is right. He isn't sure about Moraine, but they've only met one Aes Sedai. Egwene is attributing that Aes Sedai are great based on only knowing Moraine. But that doesn't tell you about the rest of them. And oh, of course, we later learn that a rather large chunk of them are Black Aja. So take that, Egwene. A lot of them are bad. Uh, what is it, a third? 20%? Like, someone let me know. I don't remember. It's quite a large number. It is not a tiny, insignificant percentage. It's scary when you think about it. Uh, Egwene is just, she's lost in her own fantasy. She's blind to anything but her new ambitions and her stubbornness. And this makes her a strong character. But right now, well, that doesn't, no, no. Sticking to her guns makes her a strong character. But she is, oh, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. Rand calls her a fool who makes up her mind and won't budge even if someone said you were trying to stand on water. You know, they're still arguing. I wasn't explaining things right there a second ago. I'm sorry. That makes no sense. Uh, I, I, I think Gwen is a very strong person, but I think she's very young, and I think she's fighting for the sake of fighting right now. She's offended Rand isn't as excited as she is, but she should know better. Uh, so, while I'm getting worked up to talking about this conversation, someone else is too. Land kind of comes in, and he's like, you trying to wake up everybody inside 10 miles? Turns out, 
these guys were yelling really, really loudly at each other. Egwene is super embarrassed, her whole face is flushed, and Rand's looking around at his companions, and everybody's looking at him, and Matt and Parrot are shocked and white-faced and scared, and Tom is tense as if he's ready to run or fight, like, Arr! and Moraine's just standing there expressionless. But her eyes were sharp and boring right into him. And Rand tries to remember what he said about Aes Sedai and Dark's friends. Whoops! <laughs> it's very... The, the conversation goes from very frustrating to just very fun. The fact that my mood can shift so off so much compared to the paragraph is just testament to how much I like this story. I'm only getting so much so frustrated because I'm invested in the characters. I'm only getting so mad at Egwene right now because I know how great she is later. <laughs> oh, goodness. Moraine simply says it's time to go, and they depart. So, two days after that, that that's the next thing in my notes, probably the next thing in the book, too. Matt's thinking they might be safe. Oh, this is where my clip is. My clip from clip of the day. Matt's like, we lost them for good. Egwene and Moraine are off together having one of their chats, um, leaving only the men, minus Lan, off on a scouting trip at the low-burning fire. Tom and Rand are kind of both half-dozing, half-falling asleep, and Perrin, like, kind of speaks up. If we lost them, why does Lan keep scouting, dude? And Matt's like, we probably lost him back at Tarn Ferry. Perrin's like, what about the Drakkar, dude? And Matt's like, just, just shut up. <laughs> Let's worry about seeing the world, dude. What is a city like? And Perrin's like, we're going to Barillon. We'll just have to see. And Matt's like, Barillon. Barillon's all fine and good. But if we turn south after Camelon, we'll get to Ilion. And apparently, why Ilion? And then he's like, because Ilion isn't full of ice. Silence. And we all know why, because Moraine is back. And Top tries to help the boys. He's like, the lads were just, I mean, Moraine's a die. It was just, but Moraine is having none of it. And what I really, really like is that her voice is completely casual. But they feel the fear. <laughs> She's like, a few days quiet. You've already forgotten winter night. Perrin tried to tell her, didn't have forgotten anything. She's like, is that the way you all feel? You're all eager to run off to Iliana, huh? Ready to forget about the half-men, the Trollocs, the Drakkar. The Dark One is after you three, one or all. Whatever the Dark One wants, I oppose. So hear this, and know it to be true. Before I let the Dark One have you, I'll destroy you myself. And Rand believes her because her simple, matter-of-fact tone. And I love it. You understand her side here. She's been spending 20 years in search of this. She knows one of these three boys is the child she's looking for. I don't think she knows for sure it's Rand yet. So she's hearing Matt 
And Perrin, the potential dragon's probably freaking her out if she thinks it's Matt. Couldn't you imagine if she's having a little bit of thoughts that it's Matt? Like, after the cry on Kaldazar moment, right? Like, that, we haven't got to it yet. It's not in this chapter. Super disappointing. But when he starts splattering the old tongue out... Splattering the old tongue? What the hell? Spouting the old tongue out. You gotta think. She's like, oh god, no. Not him. Not him. Not him. <laughs> oh, I love it. Uh, Rand believed her. Uh, he thought the Aes Sedai would do, indeed, do exactly as she said, if it was necessary. Uh, I personally can't help but think that Rand is indeed using his eyes, Egwene, and his ears, too. He has a right to be wary to the Aes Sedai, doesn't he? All the men there do, don't they? You're acting like they're just being idiots for being afraid, being concerned, being cautious, but no. She straight up said she'll destroy them, and she didn't say that about you, did she? No, she did not, but whatever. <laughs> it's no real big surprise the men had a hard time getting to sleep that night. <laughs> I'm just saying. Uh... As the chapter goes on, we learn that the nightly talks between Egwene and Moraine were a sore spot for Rand. What were they doing? What were they discussing? And just what was the Aes Sedai doing to Egwene? What does Rand think she's doing to Egwene? I, 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 those were all kind of quotes right there, man. Does he think that Moraine is channeling on Egwene and making her more Aes Sedai? Like, what is going on here? This is just... That's a little too far, Rand. You're a little bit too far there. Um, so on one occasion, after everyone had apparently gone to sleep, pretty weird time for Moraine and uh, Gwen to step aside to have their little talk when even Lan is in his blankets. You know what I mean? Just a little odd. Rand follows them out on their talk, and he's using every, every ounce of skill. He's attained stalking rabbits, until he was right behind a tree near the two women, shrouded in this big wide trunk with heavy branches. He cannot be seen, and he's sitting there ready and willing to eavesdrop. Alright, now we've got to the ladies. Moraine is telling Egwene to ask whatever she wants to know. If she can tell her now, she will. She wants to make clear, however that there are things Egwene is not ready for, as well as questions she can't answer until Egwene knows yet other things. So, yeah, you can ask, but we'll just have to see what I can answer, so you might as well ask several things. Uh, and first, Egwene wants to know about the five powers. Earth, fire, wind, water, air, and spirit. How is it that men have access to the stronger powers of earth and fire? Because this is just not fair. Um, <laughs> and But this makes Moraine laugh. She, she does the old Aes Sedai adage uh, that I actually really, really like. And it's, is that what you think, child? Is there no rock? Is there a rock? So hard that wind and water cannot wear it away? Or a fire so strong that water cannot quench it or snuff it out? And then Gwen's a quit. Yeah, that was good. That was good. Gwen's like, oh, Gwen's a little bit quiet again before asking her next question hesitantly. Because this question had been worrying her. This had been eating at her. And it was the men, right? 
The male Aes Sedai's went crazy and broke the world. It was the men who tried to free the Dark One and the Forsaken, right? The women had no part in it at all. The Aes Sedai, female Aes Sedai, are innocent and perfect in every way, right? Moraine Sedai? Um, <laughs> which kind of shows the misinformation here. They think the men tried to free the Forsaken and the Dark One? It was the opposite! They, they sealed them away! It's... Uh, Moraine points out to Egwene that she is afraid. And then that's all right. It's good, and it makes sense. If she had stayed in the two rivers, she could have become wisdom. Or sat in the women's circle, handling the affairs while the men's village council thought they did so. See what I mean about the whole... <sighs> but you did think the unthinkable. You left Emmonsfield searching for adventure. You wanted to go, yet you were afraid of it. And Egwene protests, like, I'm not afraid. She eventually is willing to admit when she's afraid. Because being afraid doesn't stop her from doing anything. Um, but Moraine's like, it's good if you're afraid. It's better if you're afraid. Few have the talent to become an Aes Sedai. And even less De desire it, want it. Surely never two before in one village. You need to be wary, because you can go all the way, my girl. You just need to concentrate. And uh, this little slip of a tongue gets Egwene excited. And like, who is it? Is it this person? Is it this person? And Moraine's kind of really annoyed by the slip of her tongue. She kind of, ah, forget what I told you. The other one's path lies another way now, she fears. Uh, <laughs> concern yourself with your own path. It's a difficult one. Um, so, we know she's talking about Nynaeve. And also, I'm pretty sure the reason for this slip is because a Tavirin was nearby in the darkness. Also, I think that frustration was a lot like later in this book that we'll see when Nynaeve sneaks up Moraine. She's like, oh, I was so busy talk, focusing on the girl that I didn't notice there's a boy with a coin in his pocket behind that tree over there. And he's obviously Taviran because... No, maybe she... No. Does she not fully admit they're Taviran until loyal? Hmm. Okay, we'll have to see when we get there, won't we? Um... Yeah, Path is all stubborn. Don't be... No, no, no. Where am I? <laughs> I'm so lost. I'm making this podcast even longer now. <laughs> yes. Um, focus on your path, Moraine says. It's a difficult one. And Egwene's all stubborn. I'm not going to turn back. I'm, 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 I'm good. I'm not scared. I'm going to push forward. And Moraine's like, good. Like, you're halfway there. You're still saying you're not scared, but okay. Um, but you want a sh reassurance, and I can't give it to you. And Egwene's like, wait, what? Reassurance? Like, you went off on a tangent here, Moraine Sedai. I have no idea what you mean. And Moraine's like, you want to know I Sedai are good and pure. That there is, that it was the wicked men that caused the breaking. They were no more wicked than any other man. They were insane. I Sedai are people too. The power doesn't change that. It doesn't change who you are. When you go to the White Tower, you will meet women that are brave and cowardly, kind and cruel, warm and cold-hearted. Being an Aes Sedai will not change you. 
of who you are. Um, this, however, uh, does assure Egwene uh, he was a little bit worried that the power would change her. She's, she's a little bit relieved. You know, she's worried, like, you know, that it could turn her into a different person. And it's not the power that turns her into a different person. It's her experiences. And that's why she goes on to the next. She was worried the power might change her. Or that the Trollocs, or the Fades, or the Drakkar, Morensa die, why did they come to the two rivers? Seriously, girl? Weren't, weren't you listening at all a couple chapters ago? Rand, Matt, Perrin, they were all explaining it to you. Did you just think they were stupid boys making up stories? What? I don't... I don't understand this. Are they just not worth listening to you? I'm... Seriously, but... For answer, Moraine just turns and looks at me right at the tree where Rand is, causing him to flinch back and attempt to flee. And it causes this really comical scene, because he's not looking back behind him. He's just trying to creep away, stepping backwards as quick as he can. And he trips on a root, and he almost falls into a really loud, dry-leafed, prickly bush that definitely would have alerted everybody. And then so he kind of gets down on his head and knees, and he crawls away. <laughs> he gets back into his blankets before Moraine and Egwene come back, which is really, really funny. Um, for a second when he's getting into his blankets, he's concerned that Lan might have noticed because he stirs in his blankets. But when Rand just kind of like chips his blanket and kind of doesn't move again, Rand's like, ha ha, I got past Lan. Everything's good. Fat chance, dude. The warder obviously knew you left, and obviously knew you returned. Don't you think you could cross land? Think you can sneak past land? <laughs> I'm not even sure Ruark could sneak past land. Ruark or one of those really highly skilled Aielmen are probably the few people. Because even warders are like really easily trackable to land. Okay? Yeah. A short while later, Moraine reappeared... Watching the sleeping shakes and shapes, and Rand keeps his eye closed and tries to breathe normally <laughs> in the rhythm of sleep. Uh, and when he finally did drift away, he had these really weird dreams of Emmons Field, where all the men called themselves the Dragon Reborn, and all the women wore blued stones on their forehead like Moraine. Uh, he, when he woke up, he decided he was not going to follow them again. <laughs> Good plan, buddy. Good plan. All right, folks, so this is when we get to the sixth state. Can you hear that squeaking? This is literally me just leaning forward and leaning back in my damn chair. Is it that loud? Really? I mean, my goodness. Okay, I'm sorry. It's just, I think I might need to get a new chair here eventually, and I've spent all the money I could right now. Uh, so, sixth day of travel. Uh, Land still making uh, reports only to Moraine. Egwene apparently in charge of the Emmons Fielders by Moraine. <laughs> it's just, I'm not saying Egwene is not a good leader, but it... I don't know if Moraine actually kind of let trying to let Egwene keep them in line, or if just Egwene assumed that and is trying to act that way, or if it's just not even that at all, if Rand and the boys are just so stubborn that they just assume that Egwene, the Aes Sedai's teacher's pet, is instead, you know, forcing them into stuff. I don't know. You know how it's 
uh, stubborn Two Rivers people are. If you tell a Two Rivers man to go sit there on the left, he's going to look at you for a minute and go and sit on the right. That's just how it works. Um, oh, man. So, yeah, six days of travel, Egwene in charge, Perrin's carrying Matt's bow, um, while Tom is teaching Matt to juggle small stones. Apparently, Gleeman has been given nightly lessons, too. That's really cool. So the lesson started well before the separation. That's pretty awesome. I kind of forgot about that. Um, Matt just started bragging to Rand that he had gotten to juggling four stones first when the group crests a final hill and look down upon Bearlawn. And let's just say the Emmons fielders were properly impressed. Yeah, I'd go with that. Um, oh, hi, Cap. Hi, you came out of nowhere, didn't you? Oh, yeah, they are just stunned. Rand couldn't help but think that it was as large as Emmons Field, Watch Hill, Devon Ride combined. Maybe even Tar and Ferry, too. Just looking down at Berlon. He's like, that is so huge. Like, wh wh why is so many people gathered at once? And I'm like, dude, this is... This is a mid-to-small-sized town, okay? This isn't even that high-tech. Oh, wow. High-tech? Wow, okay. You know what I mean. Um, so, here we get a description of Berlon. Berlon is surrounded by a 20-foot-high wooden wall with watchtowers, also wooden, spaced uh, uh, at appropriate levels across it. Uh, la, la. What is wrong with me? The roofs were all slate and tile, no thatch at all, which is shocking to the Two Rivers people, seeing as the only house in the Two Rivers that isn't fa uh, thatch is the Wine Spring Inn. That is the only building in the district with tile. So they're all just like, whoa, there's no thatch anywhere. This is, whoa, this is crazy. <laughs> and the smoke uh, of hundreds of chimneys is rising to the air. Let's just say they're a little, they're a little shaken. There's these huge broad roads running from east to west of the city, populated with about a dozen wagons and maybe twice as many ox carts. So they're not even alone uh, in this general vicinity. There's other travelers here in the area, which is, yeah. Uh, most of the north, uh, no, wait, uh, there's farms spread everywhere, mostly to the north. Uh, they get steadily less populated when they get to the forest. There's almost no farms, like, right up to the trees. And Matt's like, so that's a city? Wow! And Parent could only shake his head at the idea of so many people living in one place. While Egwene was just plain speechless, she's like, I, I was, I, oh my god. Tom, however, saw the reactions and could only roll his eyes and blow out his mustaches. City, indeed. <laughs> the only one who hadn't spoken yet was Rand, and Moraine comes up from behind, probably still a little bit upset about the dark friend comments, about the eavesdropping, and she kind of starts poking fun at him a little bit. She's like, all right, Rand Althor, what's your first impression of this? City. <laughs> Come on, that's, that's, that's poking fun. That's poking fun. And, uh, yeah, maybe Rand felt it, because he only gives this really somber answer. It's far away from home. Aw, <laughs> nice to die. It's like, well, 
You have further to go yet, much further, but there's no other choice except to run and hide for the rest of your lives. And short lives they would be too. Just remember when the journey gets hard, you have no choice. And Rhett and Matt and Perrin are looking at each other like, how can the Aes and I talk of choices, huh? After her words about destroying them if she had to. The Aes and I made their choices for them. They were just on the, lo they were just along for the ride, man. They're not happy. They're just like, oh, I, I want to go home. <laughs> Moraine continues on as if their thoughts were not playing on their faces. Um, the danger begins again here. No talking of Trollocs and Fades here. Aes Sedai either. Some in Bearlon have less love for Aes Sedai than the Coplins and Congers from Emmons Field. There may even be dark friends here, which causes a big commotion amongst the Two Rivers folk. Egwene gasps with a, oh, and Perrin's muttering darkly under his breath. Matt pales, but we don't get a reaction from Rand. Maybe it's because Rand is the one we're getting this narration from so maybe he's just sitting there stock still and silent and shocked but it would have been nice if we got his take on that but no uh here the ice die and water also go by different names moraine is lady alice and lan is master andra all right got that we're clear good now don't forget let's get going <laughs> this is kind of how she leads it off she's like the city closes by nightfall and only opens with the dawn so we got we gotta go there we go i've told you everything Time to get there. So the warder leads the gang down to Bearlawn, and Rand thinks it's a little odd that none of the farmers they passed are looking up to see what these strange travelers are doing. But Rand, what you gotta understand here is that when you're in a highly populated area, it doesn't really matter as much. No. No, it doesn't. Um... Uh, <laughs> So they get to the gate of the village after a little while, and it's kind of uh, strapped with black iron, which is kind of cool, but I'm not sure how effective it would be. Just being strapped in black iron. I mean, if you still want to get into Berlon, you just, what, set fire to the <laughs> wooden walls on either side, and then cut down one of the huge trees in the forest right behind you, and like carry it up and bam it right against the gate or, you know, the place you set fire, but, you know, but they might have archers up there, so maybe, maybe it'll just, it's a stall tactic, uh, maybe I should just get off this and talk about Avin then, um, Avin is the gate guard or, you know, the gatekeeper that's up there, and when Rand rings the doorbell, yeah, there's a, Rand rings the doorbell, when Lan rings the doorbell, because there is a doorbell, um, there's this frayed rope that when you pull it, it rings a bell on the other side of the gate. It's very self-explanatory. I don't know why I went so long on it. <laughs> um, Oven peers his head down, and he's not super into it. He's like, what's this? What's this? Uh, the gate is closed. It is too late to open this gate, which is bullshit, right? Because the sun's not down yet. He's just being lazy. And uh, he's like, ah, you, if you want to come in, you need to go around to the White Bridge Gate. Until he sees Moraine, who lowers her hood and gets in the most prominent position. And he just switches sides immediately. He's like, oh my god, Lady Alice, Master Andra. Oh, I didn't know it was you. I'm coming. I'm coming. And then Rand, like, he runs down and Rand can hear his muffled shouts. He's like, I'm coming. Don't, don't move. I'm coming. As he's, <laughs> as he's coming uh, down and he opens the gate just wide enough 
for everyone to go through. And after he opens it, uh, Moraine goes through first immediately, and the rest follow after him. And uh, when you see Avin, he's in a much-mended cloak and clothes, which makes me think of maybe Land's Gleaming Cloak. Land's Gleaming Cloak? Good God! Tom's Gleaming Cloak, but less colorful. You know what I mean? Uh, um, and he's showing super respect to Lady Alice and Master Andra, but not necessarily to the Emmons Fielders, though. He's like, he even makes a crack about it. Lady Alice, I didn't know you are going down and collecting down country folk with hay in their hair. That's a little uncalled for, Aubin. I'm just saying, that's just a little rude. Next, he notices Tom Marilyn, and he wasn't super friendly to him either. He's like, I remember you. Didn't like your tricks down there, down country, huh, Gleeman? And Lan makes a comment uh, to Avin about hoping he didn't mention their comings and goings, all the while pressing a coin into the wrinkled man's hands. And Avin was like, nope, I ain't said nothing about you because I like you for some reason. <laughs> I hope Avin's not a dark friend. He seems like a swell dude, just kind of grumpy sometimes. Maybe it's that they actually paid him and showed him mutual respect or something. I don't know. But, and this is when he begins gossiping. Uh, apparently, the Children of the Light are in Berlon, arrived the night Moraine and Land left, uh, and uh, he got a pretty accurate, pretty accurate description of the White Cloaks straight off. Walking around with their nose in the air and telling people to walk in the light, and that's an order, mind you, not a request. And uh, <laughs> Rand's thinking about the Children himself. Because he thinks that some merchants and wagons guards liked them, some hated them, but one thing was certain, White Cloaks hated Aes Sedai pretty much as much as they hated Dark Friends and Shadow Spawn. So Rand's like, shit, things got even worse. She said the danger wasn't over, but it just got worse. <laughs> Yay, White Cloaks. Um, apparently, the governor of Berylon will only let about ten in at a time, though. So that's good, but... It's also pissing them off. And apparently, Avin's saying that, that that's caused a few problems, you know? Uh, and, uh, you know, they're here because of the problems in Gildon. At least that's what they say. Even though that makes no, no, no sense at all. Because Gildon and Berlon are not... No, no. They just came here to cause trouble. And Avin mentions that the Dragon Fang has already been scrawled on a few doors already. So, yeah. Avin's like, if they're hunting down evil, why not go to Saldea? Something's going on there. <clears throat> Tame. And, uh, or go down to Gildan, where the false dragon's been having a battle with Aes Sedai. And Moraine is interested in that. Yes, she is. Uh, Moraine heard about Avin, says he heard that, not all, that some of the Aes Sedai died in that battle, or so he hears. And some don't take the Aes Sedai here in Berlan. But who else will deal with the false dragon, he says. Who else will deal with the fool men playing at male Aes Sedai, he says. You know? He does say that many claim that this false dragon may not be so false, though. He can channel, he says. And he's heading for Tyr. That's right, Loghain is marching towards Tyr. I think I was going really vague here, but my notes are getting vague. I don't know what's going on. Uh, and he's named his followers the People of the Dragon. And Moraine says names mean very little. 
You know, you could call your uh, mule people of the dragon, and it would mean very little. <laughs> and Avin, this is probably the funniest thing from Avin. He's like, I get your point, mistress, but no, mistress, not my mule. <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. The not my mule. I, I, I really, I really, it's, it's just so, it, it brings a smile every time I read it. It's something I've quoted for years. Not my mule. No. <laughs> um, yeah, Morin says they must be off, and Avin, uh, you know, actually has me liking him in the end, despite his sour start. You know, what's this? What's this? You'll have to go around. No, I love you, Mistress Alice. You're the best. He is right about that. Um, so, yeah, and he's also saying, don't worry, Mistress Alice. Don't worry, Master Andra. I ain't seen nobody. I ain't seen nobody, and I ain't seen nothing. In fact... This gate hadn't been opened in days, and Mor Moraine left him with a light aluminum, Master Avin. You are a good man. And uh, Avin's loving it. <laughs> and then she leads the group onward. And this is actually where we get this really cool little chat between Rand and Tom Marilyn. With the younger man asking, well, what's, what's so important about this Stone of Tear and the people of the dragon? I don't know. I don't get it. What's going on here? And Tom's like, the Koreathon cycle. And Rand's kind of shocked. He's like, the prophecies of the dragon? Nobody talks about the prophecies of the dragon in the two rivers. If they did, the wisdom would skin them alive. And Tom, obviously thinking about Nynaeve and her stick, is like, I bet she would. <laughs> so Tom explains that the Stone of Tear is one of the greatest fortresses in the world. One that has never fallen, and one of the oldest. And it also states that in some prophecies, prophecies in some of the prophecies of the Koreathon cycle, that the stone will only fall when the people of the dragon come. And another prophecy says that the stone will only fall when the dragon reborn holds the sword that cannot be touched. We got a mention of Kalimdor in Book One, people. That's cool. I love it. Um. And that the fall of the Stone of Tear will be a major sign that the dragon has been reborn. Which leads to probably my favorite Tom line of the chapter. May the stone stand till I am dust. Which is funny because he's in tear when the stone falls. I like it. I like it a lot. Uh, but Rand is confused. What's this sword that's not a sword business? Uh, but Tom's doesn't say, have much to say on the matter, you know, it's whatever it is, it's held in the heart of the stone where only the high, high lords of Tyr will gather. And the high lords of Tyr won't say anything to a simple gleeman, which makes me wonder, has he maybe talked to high lords of Tyr about this as court bard of Camelin? I don't know, they might talk more to him than he they would... Um, a Gleeman, I maybe they wouldn't talk to him at all, but there's a question in there for me. But whatever it is, the sword, in the heart of the stone, oh, I've already done that. Rand wonders why the prophecy seems so confusing, um, what, like it seems contradictory. Well, does that mean uh, High Lord of Tear is supposed to be the dragon? Tom's like, no, no way in hell. 
the, the Tyr hates the power more than Amador hates the power, and the Amador is the where the Fortress of the Light and the stronghold of the Children of the Light are. So, not not very likely in that. If the if the Dragon Reborn came from Tyr, the dude probably um, ask for the uh, Silk Rope if you get what I mean. Uh, you know, but Rand is still confused. It sounds like this prophecy is meant to be difficult. How can the stone fall if a people come? Or how can the stone fall if the, only if the dragon takes the sword? How does this work? Um, and Tom's just like, well, a prophecy easily fulfilled wouldn't mean much, would it? Um, but I kind of like this because neither of these things were in common. Rand didn't lead the people of the dragon to Tyr. They came looking for him. They took the stone in pursuit of looking for the Karakarn. And the dragon reborn came in by himself looking to grab Kalandor. So the reason these are separate prophecies might make sense because they were never intended to be the same choice. They were never intended to happen at the same time under the same direction. They were meant to happen at the same time by sheer coincidence, I guess. And that's kind of interesting. So their talk uh, ends as the party halts in an alleyway next to a long wooden fence. And Lan has a dagger in between the boards. Uh, and he's kind of fiddling, fiddling with it, you know, moving it up and down. And turns out it's because that piece of the fence is actually a gate. And it's a gate meant only to be opened by the inside. So he used his knife to pull up the latch and open the gate and hit in a head inside. And Moraine, once again, the first to go in, followed by Egwene, and Land gestures the rest of them to go in while he takes the rear. Uh, and Rand is blown away because he finds himself in a huge in-stable yard. And Rand's like, Look at the, four stories tall. This inn is four stories tall. What? How is that even possible? And the stable yard itself all by itself is big enough to fit the wine spring in from back home. This is crazy. So three stablemen come running, uh, with one in the center, the only one without a manure fork is how it's described, telling them they couldn't come this way. Um, this is the back way. You have to come in around the front. But the innkeeper shows up, uh, Master Fitch, just like out of the blue, I don't, I don't even know why, telling the man much, not to worry, and that these people were expected guests? I'm sorry. Did he know when they were coming back? Because this is weird. Was, like, how did... But I don't... I don't know. I don't know how he knew to come running. Maybe he kind of heard the commotion and looked out and saw who it was, and he just needed to calm everything down, but, like, how did he know? Uh, so the innkeeper, Master Fitch, greeted Moraine and Lan warmly with what is described as a genuine smile. Uh, he, he really does like these people unconditionally, and I like that. He expresses his worry for the pair heading down country in these troubled times, what with the weather and the wolves, and he suddenly stops himself chatting away. Because he's like, what am I thinking? You're all tired from travel and cold, and I know what you want. You need to come in with me. Warm meals and hot beds wait for you inside. And I really do like how Moraine's just like, hot baths too, right, Master Fitch? 
And Egwene's just like, oh, God, yes. Please, please tell me there's baths. And, like, she's she's into it, too. She's like, oh, that would be wonderful. Um, and I'm pretty sure the boys wouldn't mind it either. I don't think they make a, a thing about it here. But, you know, in the next chapter, they're going to have a nice soak, too. Um... And the innkeeper is kind of a showman here. He's like, baths? And it's, it's very much a question mark. Why, of course. The best in Berlon. The hottest in Berlon awaits you inside. Welcome. Welcome to the stag and lion. Welcome to Berlon. And the thing is, I know this came out first. Like... Because I think the Eye of the World came out, what, 1990, 1989? Let me look at the copyright here. Um, do, do, copyright, 1990, okay. But it sounds to me like, welcome to Jurassic Park. I mean, that's all I can hear with this Welcome to Bearlong thing. I love it so much. Um, well, that's it for the chapter breakdown. We finally got all of my 113 numeral notes and my 17 pages of notes my god this was a meaty chapter but it was a good chapter oh it was very very good uh we got you know rand screwing up rand getting better learning swordsmanship Perrin learning to use his axe um, we got, you know, Moraine giving them threats that were very entertaining, just as much as they were slightly concerning, at least if you're reading it through on the first time. You got Egwene learning more and Rand not liking it. You got Tom giving them instruction too, which is cool. I just, it's, it's great. You learn about Tame, you learn about, uh, well, you learn that there's something going on in Saldea, but in the reread, you're like, oh my god, that's Mazarum Tame! And you hear about Loghain heading to Tyr with the people of the dragon. I mean, just so much. White cloaks are here, and we're gonna be introduced to them. Oh, I just, I like it. I like it. This was a very, very fun chapter. Yeah, well, folks, I think that's it for Chapter 13, Choices. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Gleeman Radio's Return to the Wheel of Time. Uh, if you would like to ask me questions or ask me anything at all or give me criticism uh, or, you know, yeah, anything at all, send it to gleemanradio at gmail.com. Put it in the comment section of some of the places you find it. We'll have a comment section. Or, I finally got the Twitter set up, thegleemanradio at g, uh, at thegleemanradio. Uh, you can find me there. Uh, I got so, oh, so ridiculously excited, um, like, the day after I set it up, because... Narg from the Daily Trollic actually liked my post for my podcast and retweeted it. I was I was kind of overwhelmed because I know who the Daily Trollic is. I, I that, that that's so cool. I was like, oh my god! Thank you so much, Narg. Thank you so much. Thank you to anybody who's listening to this who following me on Twitter already. You guys are all uh, amazing having so much fun on Twitter. I know some of you do it in character and some of you just like to talk about stuff. I think my favorite profile I've seen so far is literally Matt Cawthon's bloody hat. That is just one of the 
It's just, it's, it's just, it's just fantastic. It's just fantastic. So again, send me anything you want to talk about, any comment you have. Um, if you, I hope you guys liked my new intro. I got a voice modifier. I had to pay for it too. I, I, I don't know if anyone would have noticed if I used it without the commercial license, but I wouldn't have felt good about it. Like, you know, just like, you know, I would love to get some fan art from you people to start putting on my website and make me feel a little bit better, guys. Come on. Uh, <laughs> I've thought about, again, I think I talked about this last time. I have really thought about um, holding a contest uh, for a new Gleeman Radio logo from you guys. Uh, and the winner could win, you know, a copy or two of the comic books, probably a copy, or a Tavirin T, or, you know, something like that, you know, a Wheel of Time t-shirt from Tavirin T's look really cool. I really want to buy one for myself so bad, uh, but they're like 25 bucks, and I've spent about as much money as I can for free spending this month already. Um, oh, goodness. So, yeah, this is this has been really fun. I hope you're enjoying this podcast, because I surely am, at least when I sit down to properly record it. That, that's, that's what I don't understand. I procrastinate so damn much on getting it done, but while I'm doing it, having a great time. After I've finished doing it, even if I didn't think I did the best job possible, I feel at least a little sense of accomplishment. And so I don't know what my procrastination problem is, to be honest. I really don't. Uh, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day, wherever you are. Let me know, guys. Uh, and take care. Peace out. Bye.